LA is vast, vibrant, simultaneously stunning, as well as challenging and confusing. At Together LA, this city is our passion. We know that loving LA well starts with listening, pounding the pavement in search of the individuals invested in the flourishing of Los Angeles. These are the inspiring stories and real life interviews with the men and women who work to bring the gospel to LA in their unique ways. Thanks for joining us as we bring you closer to the heart of LA, one story, one voice, one neighborhood at a time. We are Tommy and Jojo, and this is the Together LA Listening Tour. Well, welcome to another episode of Together LA's podcast, The Listening Tour. I am here with my wonderful, wonderful, talented co-host, Jojo. So, hey, welcome to you. How are you today? I am doing well. How are you guys? Thanks for joining us, Ken. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Well, uh, one of the most honorable men I have got a chance to visit and get to know in L.A., as when I first started going to L.A. about five years ago and now being involved in Together L.A., I got a chance to meet Pastor Ken Corver. He is the senior pastor of Reform. Uh, let me I had this Emmanuel Reform Church in Paramount, California, president of the Compton Initiative Board since 2006. But more so on a personal level, Ken, you have been an example for me of what it means to be involved in the city as a pastor, to love the city, and to really be able to approach it with much humility. So welcome to this program. I'm real grateful to be with Together LA and with my friends, so thank you. You know, looking at your bio, I'm going to start it off, and I'm going to turn it over to Jojo, is I see from your bio that you grew up in Paramount, have, have your church. For those who are not familiar with your story, can you share a little bit about how you came to Paramount? Yeah, you're breaking up just a little bit. And I will, I think okay. you asked, how did I come to Paramount? And so uh, my dad is a pastor. He's uh, almost 90. I'm 60. When I was 11 years old, uh, I'm among five brothers. My dad was in Chicago and uh, the church out here, a dying Dutch reformed church, called my father in Chicago and said, would you become the pastor of our church? And my dad said, no. They said, would you pray about it? And he said, I don't need to. And uh, they said, no, please, you need to pray. So literally, when my father went into this basement of the camp he was running, church camp, when he prayed, if he faced east or north or south, he had disequilibrium. He felt like he was going to fall down. And when he faced west, he had this calm come over him. This happened for two days, and my father wasn't the type of person to have these kind of experiences. And he felt God was saying, you must go west. So my father had a westward call. He had a Los Angeles call, became the senior pastor in 1971 of a dying Dutch Reformed Church that we loved a lot. And then my dad said to them, "We, as I've come to your church, we're going to love the people of the church, but we will love the community. Paramount, which is a right next door to Compton, we're going to love the community, be servants to the community. If you agree to that, then we'll go for it. So we've been here for 49 years. Wow. That's that's incredible. Um, and, and as Tommy said from your bio, so this is where your dad planted the church. This is where you grew up. What was it that made you want to stay home rather than travel somewhere else or do something different? Yeah. So uh, so the church my dad came to and we came to was actually then what a a 46 year old church, but it was on its way down. It was on its way to try demise. Mm -hmm. So he so he wasn't a church planter, but he kind of was a church planter. Right. And so you love the original 30 families that still are there. And, And then as we did that, what happened was. 
uh, as we were traveling from Chicago to California, we stopped in Iowa to see all my relatives. When we saw our relatives to say goodbye, as we were getting back in the station wagon, my uncle Gene grabbed me by the arm. I'm 11 years old, and this is a true story. He grabbed me by the arm and he said, Kenley, that's my full name. When you get to California, you tell them about Jesus. And when you're in sixth grade, that's supposed to go right over your head. That's supposed to be like a whatever. I'm getting in the station wagon and I'm going to go out to California. I hope to play basketball. And it landed in my heart. Like I'm supposed to go to California and tell people about Jesus. So when people ask me, when did you get the calling to come to California? I said, I got it um, about 24 hours after we left, or, you know, after we had left Chicago. And I kind of got the same call that my dad had. And it's the only calling I've ever had in terms of ministry was to go to California. We land in Paramount and stay here for a lifetime and speak of Jesus and try to follow Jesus and invite others to follow Jesus. Got it. Hey, Ken, let me ask you a quick question is for you is for those who have not been to Compton and Paramount, paint us a picture. What is life like there? Uh, what, what are some of the challenges, but what are some of the things that are going well in Paramount Compton? So the town that we moved to, Paramount, uh, we love our town. Uh, but when we came to Paramount in 1971, the Rand Corporation called Paramount um, a, a disaster site. It was called the fourth worst city in the United States of America of 50,000 or less. And that was because you had white flight, you had gangs, you had schools going down, you had businesses fleeing. All the, all the st uh, statistics were going in the wrong direction. And that was Paramount in the in the 70s and early 80s and uh what happened was uh, we have a really sharp city staff and city council they asked uh emmanuel church if we would um we my brother kevin is a pastor and my dad's a pastor they were praying in our in one of our main offices mm -hmm. that we could have another way of serving the city they came and asked us would we help paint the city and uh and we immediately said yes because we were praying that we'd have another opportunity to creatively serve so from 1988 to 91, our church painted like three, 400 houses in Paramount, but it led to 3,000 homes being painted and a mindset switched in Paramount. And we think God changed Paramount and we think the city staff and the city council and the business community, we think everybody was a part of it, but they did say that the church was a catalyst in it. So Paramount is a blue collar Latino community, but you'll know the very second you drive into it, it's very, very clean, uh, very safe uh now protected and it's this beautiful latino community paramount uh a blue collar working class the city next door to us is compton and compton's been known around the world for its pain and uh you know gangster rap uh, uh gangs crips and bloods they were known for that uh, compton's also got a lot of beautiful people compton is rising uh and we have a compton initiative that partners with the many people and groups in Compton that are awesome and wonderful. And together we've painted 1600 buildings uh, in that city. The, every school has been painted twice. You paint churches, houses, grandma houses, and it allows us to become friends with each other, be teammates together. We feel Compton is rising. We're a small drop in the bucket of the good that goes on there, but we are playing our part. So uh, Compton is now a 70% a Latino, probably 30% African-American. We've planted some small churches there and we're partnering with a lot of fine churches there and everybody's trying to make a difference in their immediate neighborhood.
Yeah. I mean, Johanna, this is a great example. And that's one of the reasons why I've gotten to love Pastor Corver is he just does a good job of showing what it means for a Christ follower, a pastor to be present in the city. He listened. He didn't come in and says, okay, we're going to start painting. We're going to start doing this. He actually came, listened. They said, hey, would you be able to help us doing that? And suddenly that initiative grew. It's a very good example of what we've been talking about, that theme of listening that we've been talking about with Part Together LA. Yeah, so, uh, no, I mean, uh, so that that's one reason yeah, why I'm awesome. not yeah. <laughs> No, I love it. And and um, something that struck me as you're talking about painting, um, is it is like really that paint is the vehicle, right? Yeah. You know, the paint is important, right? Because it beautifi beautifies the community, but it's really, like you mm -hmm. said, it's it's about banding together. It's about getting to know your neighbors. It's about rolling up your sleeves and everybody getting involved on something in something good and um, really just the vehicle to, to get to know um, the struggle, the needs, the beauty, the um, you know, all of those, all of the different things that make, that make Compton so complex, you know? Yeah. So we, uh, what, what we have found is um, a starting point is, you know, Jesus, uh, washed feet right before he went to the cross right so he's washing the feet and uh and then jesus was known in the book of acts for for doing good and that's where he got the title our compton initiative is called just do good and so mm -hmm. jesus went around i think it was acts 10 or 11 he went around you know healing doing good and so one of the things we believe is that <clears throat> if you serve and if you do good it gives you the opportunity to become friends if you become friends you have the right to talk to each other What's most important to us is Jesus Christ, but you first have to model Christ and you have to show the love of Christ and befriend and um, and then out of that. So, Joanna, you just said the painting has made us friends with people. Uh, yesterday, I interviewed Pastor Rafer Owens, who's one of my favorite mm -hmm. preachers in the world, and he's um, a deputy in Compton. He's a pastor in Compton, a faith inspirational church, and he's just an incredible person and he's an, a phenomenal preacher. Well, I interviewed him yesterday as a black man, as a deputy, as a pastor with all that's going on right now in our country. Well, we're really good friends because we do the Compton Initiative together. And so the painting allowed us to be friends, which allows you to, to talk and deal with a thousand other things because you're friends now, your teammates. Yeah. And and that's so good um, because you've built that trust there within the community. And, and I, you know, that speaks so much to your call to just call this one place home and and to be invested there long term um talking about interviewing um the pastor we know you lead a very diverse congregation and that leads in perfectly to my next question how has your church been dealing with the political unrest and um how have you led your congregation through this difficult time. Yeah. So we've been trying. And uh, so I for sure haven't done a perfect job, but I've been trying. And in our congregation, before COVID hit, you know, we we probably had 15, 1600 people at a worship service, well over 100, maybe 150 are probably um, black Christians. Also in our church are 13 police officer families. And so our church is uh, it started out Dutch Reformed people, it's Latino, it's Black, it's Nepalese, it's everybody in the community. And so then you got to walk up to the situation we're in. So we'll just kind of start when George Floyd took place. 
we began stepping in again and verbally trying to walk through it. And then the challenge is to make sure that you communicate our black people are so important to us. And you can grow up in Paramount as a white person and your neighbor can be black next door to you. And the two of you can have many of the same experiences, but you can also have different experiences. And when you're white, you don't know it. So as a white person, uh, I have always looked at the police officer as my friend, always. Never, I never had a discussion, just that's how it was. Some of my black friends don't have the exact same experience because they've had one, four or six times where something different happened with them and there's a whole different perspective. Um, and so we've had a walk through trying to help us understand our black friends in our community. Uh, they, many of them have had experiences, not with all police officers, but with some police officers that were uh, pretty challenging and hurtful. And so it's learning how to stand alongside our black friends. We also have police officers, you know, Rodney King happened in 1992, three, when Rodney King happened, the LA police force has been trying to make changes. And we have 13 police officers in our church that they really, they love, they care. They, they want to fight for people. And they've felt vilified. They felt like they're, they're being treated like they're all horrible. And so we want to make sure we're standing alongside our police officers. And so I've tried to speak on it. Uh, we've put together, we've let our black people testify um, and share their, their testimonies of what they've experienced and their pain. And we let them have articles that would we would read that they would have us read. So like Shai Lin, you know, the, the, the famous uh, Christian rapper, what his experience with, with police officers. And so people got to read our own people and who they recommend of a different experience hmm. than I've had. Then we let the police officers speak. Five of our police officers speak and we let them out and we read articles. And all of a sudden we're feeling empathy for the police officer's wife because he, he actually went in to protect and serve. And that's exactly what he's doing. And now he's being vilified. So we're trying to walk in this. And so yesterday I interviewed Pastor Ray for Owens as the journey continues. And I asked him questions like, tell me as a black, black man, what do I maybe not understand or know as a white man? Because I'm not black. Well, here's a second one. I'm not a police officer. Tell me what it's like to be a police officer. Tell me what it's like well, as a pastor right now. What do you want to say, Pastor Rafer, as a black pastor? What do you want to say to us? So we're trying to dialogue and be in it. I've done it imperfectly, uh, but I've sure been trying. And you have to walk into it and you do your best. And then when you do make mistakes along the way, and, and by the way, it's impossible to have everybody be happy with you at this time. Right. So sometimes right. you make mistakes and other times you're just, you're also, maybe you didn't even make a mistake, but you're still dealing with people's pain. And it's important for me to walk in humility and keep learning and keep growing and keep, keep caring. And I think closing comment where I think we're a little bit different is we're not trying to take a left, right side. We're trying to take the kingdom of God's side and we're trying to be for people. And, um, and so we're trying. God help us. Yeah. Hey, Johan, the one thing, I mean, we've been talking a lot about the conversation of white supremacy. We've heard a lot about that. We see that a lot in the news, sometimes in terms of whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, the president will rub people the wrong way. We hear about Jerry Falwell in that situation. But we look at you, Pastor Corver, there's a certain demeanor about you. There's a certain humility that probably didn't get woven, developed overnight. How, I mean, what, what caused you to really have this demeanor? There's a sense of humility and genuineness. Was that something that was taught in, as you were raised up or did someone you a long way as you grew up? So one, uh, 
I feel like my parents have tried to, they've, they've sought to walk humbly with the Lord and they've stayed in a community and loved the community. Um, two, I'm very aware of my own sin. Uh, I'm very aware of um, my own mixed motives. I'm aware of my own brokenness. The Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the opening line. So if you want to be in Jesus' kingdom, you actually are blessed when you're poor in spirit, when you recognize uh, I'm pretty broken. I'm pretty sinful. I don't do anything from a pure motive. There's nothing completely pure in me. Mm. Jesus' opening line when he preaches is he's smiling at the people to tell them the good news of the kingdom of God. And his first word is repent. You, you want to come in my kingdom? He's smiling. He's inviting us sinners in. But his word is repent. So mm. I think... Uh, I have a small awareness of my own sinfulness and brokenness, which makes me need Jesus' grace. And that allows me to try to be a bit more gracious with others because I need grace. I'm also aware of, um, I've been very faithful to my wife. I was raised to walk as a godly man. And by God's grace, I was protected. And I love my wife and I'm cherishing my wife. But I'm aware of, oh, I can have thoughts that aren't the thoughts that I'd like to have. And, and by myself, I can't defeat that. Uh, I'm a human being that needs Jesus. So anyway, the reason I, I share that is I need the Lord. Well, so do the rest of the people. So maybe I can walk graciously with them because he seems to be very gracious with me. That's awesome. Yeah, it it makes me think of this refrain that that I really learned during my time working at International Justice Mission. And, um, and it was just this constant, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. And, um, and it, it's so easy to flip that, right? It's so easy in this life, especially with social media and how everything kind of is about you, you know, to, to get confused. And, um, and, and when you're open and when you're humble, it, it's, it's amazing how God can, well, you, you can, God will gently bring you back to remind you it's it's not about you you know it's <laughs> and no, having no. that that posture i think you're right and i think the other thing that just hits you is the, the the gospel when you read the scriptures it's like thomas doubts he gets to be so important in the kingdom peter denies he gets mm -hmm. to become so important in the kingdom paul is murdering the church he becomes so important the woman at the well and then she becomes mm -hmm. the evangelist so the whole gospel is please look at people knowing that they got they got great brokenness but they are also great image bearers and what potential they would have if jesus ever got a hold of them so mm -hmm. we, and when what mm -hmm. I, last thing is no one's ever convinced me of anything when they're yelling at me if someone <laughs> if someone's yelling at me or they're angry with me i defend myself mm -hmm. if someone comes to me with their sadness or their hurt I, i'm drawn in to listen and so mm -hmm. i just uh, the, the, the quieter i am the louder i am the more quiet i am and the more kind i am the stronger voice I have. And if I shout, I will have my side cheering, whatever my side is, and the other side repelled. Right. It's a good word. <laughs> um, I have a I have another question for you. Why do you think we've talked a lot about investing um, in communities long term? And, you know, it feels like, you know, I we, for a perfect example, my husband and my husband lived in DC for five years. I lived in DC for two years. Again, very broken, lots of brokenness there. Um, and people would always say about DC, you know, it's it's kind of people come in to build themselves up, build up their careers, and then they leave sort of the city in tatters. And um, and I have to admit, I 
was one of those people, you know, um, when I, but I too felt called out here. Um, how do you, what do you think is the importance or what have you seen as the importance of investing in a, in a place long-term? Yeah, I, I think. And how can you encourage younger people to, to do that rather than, I feel like, especially our generation, we're constantly, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Where are we going to go? You know, what are we going to do? Yeah. And, and, what and I'd say, yeah, yeah, what I'd say is I think, you know, maybe some people are called to move around a lot. What I would, a uh, couple things, maybe one, uh, well, I'll just share two thoughts. Number one, I'm not that talented. And if I, would, if I was bumping around every two years, it'd be absolutely worthless because I sure I don't go back and listen to my sermons a second time for how stunning they are. Um, that's not what they are. But if you stay in one spot, uh, you're, you can begin truly loving. And I think you begin gaining credibility when you stay uh, in the same place. I heard a, a really neat line from a guy named Pastor Tim Brown. I consider myself to be a very average pastor, preacher, very average preacher. Tim Brown is a famous preacher in the denomination I'm a part of. And he said this, the greatest preacher in the world is the local pastor. That's mm -hmm. the greatest preacher in the world. And I'm like, why does he say that? Because I think I'm an average preacher. And he says, because if you will radically love the people, your words now all of a sudden, you're on third base before you say anything. You're already on third base because you've been loving them. You loved them through the week. And now they're ready to listen to you possibly speak. The other thing, I look in the town, I'm in Paramount. Every church that's having an impact has a pastor that's been with it for a long time. Pastor, right. Larry, pastor Larry Jameson's been there for over 30 years. Mm. Uh, pastor Grady's been there for 25, 30 years. Pastor Omar, he's been there for 20 plus years. We've been here for 49 years. I, I, by the way, I think the world of those pastors, none of us is that impressive that if we just jumped in and started preaching some sermons, everybody's going to be saying, wow. But mm. if you, so you got to stay in love and then, I remember thinking about this many years ago when I didn't understand it. Like, you know, the black pastor kind of like he, he not only was he preaching, but he was you know going to the school board and saying this and making sure people right. had food. And he had like 19 hats he wore. And <laughs> I was young. I didn't understand that. Now I'm 60 mm -hmm. and I'm now wearing the 19 hats. Mm -hmm. and, and so you're you become you become a father's and mother figures in your community uh, over time. And so anyway, you got to stay with it. And Emmanuel. And here's the other one. Know how you said, Jojo, that the that you like moved around. People are moving in the city, so you have to be steady to be a point of stability. Otherwise, the whole thing just shifts, and your church will be gone. Right. Yeah. Hey, Ken, let me ask you a quick question. You've done a great job. You, R Pastor Rafer Owens, uh, is a great example. You've done a lot of work. You've worked with the mayor of Compton. You work with government officials. You work with local people and everything like that. As you look back, is there has there, we talk about good things all the time. Has there been a mistake as you've worked with local people or local individuals in Paramount or in Compton that has shaped your ministry and what you're doing today? Mistakes that you've learned along the way? Um, tell us all your flaws. <laughs> I, can, I, I can tell you, I can tell you lots of mistakes I've made. In I, I think actually in trying to walk in both Paramount and Compton, I don't think we've made a bunch of mistakes in this sense. We've not tried to have power. We've not sought any power and we've not sought to be on anyone's side other than the side of God and the city. And so uh, if, if you want to rephrase the question a minute and ask me what mistakes I've made in ministry, I can give you, it'll be a long, long time together. In terms of, of the city of Paramount and Compton, I, I don't see a lot of big mistakes because we mostly have come in and told people, you know, whose mayor can switch, whose council member can switch, 
whose school board president can switch. So we've made a commitment that we are not on a side. We're not a Democrat or Republican group. Uh, we're, we're the Christians who are here to serve and whoever wants to serve will serve alongside. So on that end, there hasn't been giant mistakes because the mistake I think I see is when you, if you try to get power, uh, you're, you're missing it and you soon will be uh, not respected, not loved. Does that yeah. make any sense? It's like power, power ruled by fear, you know, Yeah. <laughs> the opposite of humility, seeking power. Yeah. Um, but the beautiful thing is, is when you seek the kingdom, when you seek humility, it's amazing how God can empower you, <laughs> you know, yeah. he will raise your voice. Um, yeah. I know just you, you did ask mistakes. I would say that uh, early on mistakes I made in ministry is I thought I thought that I could advance the kingdom. I thought it was my job to fix things. I now see it's more my calling to be in Christ, to be having the Lord heal me, to step into things as the Lord is bringing healing in my life, to be an agent of grace toward others. I'm less self-reliant than I used to be. I'm more God-reliant than I was. I wouldn't want to hear my sermons when I was younger because I think I, I don't know if I was preaching the gospel. I don't know if I was preaching the, this, the news that Jesus Christ is a forgiver of sinners and you need the Holy Spirit so badly and you have to be so immersed in the word or it's just yourself coming out. I think I had a lot of flesh preaching, a lot of pick yourself up by the bootstrap preaching. <laughs> so anyway, I can go on and on about my mistakes, but that's maybe a start. I um, I have one last question for you and then um, and then we can wrap things up. But, you know, 2020, I don't I don't know if there's any person in in, in our country who would say, oh, 2020 has been an amazing year. <laughs> um, what is your great hope through the end of this year? You know, what are you, what is keeping you going? What is, what is your hope for, for yourself, for your family, for, for your church? Um, not even before 2021, but just through the end of the year. Um, so I, I, I'm grateful for the sovereignty of God because God's always at work. So COVID-19 for pastors has not been a fun thing. Um, and yet you look at, we're now reaching people around the world that we never reached. We're now, um, discipling people through the week in ways that we weren't because we're online. Mm -hmm. And so I see God that he works in the midst of that um, on the race journey that we're on right now. You're like, man, I wish we were in a better spot and everyone was being treated with great love and esteem and all that. But I guess this is a moment where you get a chance to shine as a Christ follower in the midst of it. So I guess the prayer I have is that uh, for myself, uh, that I would grow deeper in Christ and and I would model following him. I'm praying for our church that we could unite and we would not pick sides. We would not demand that you come to our church and be a Republican. You would not demand you come be a Democrat. You've got to line up on this side, but we would we would be unexplainable and that we are about that we're going to preach the kingdom of God for the next year. And we'd be unexplainable for being for the kingdom of God and not the kingdoms of this world. And so I'm praying that we could be united we could be humble uh, in the spirit. We'd recognize we can't fix it. We got to cry out to God. We need to be crying out and asking for him to do what only he can do. So I'm praying those things. And then I also move to uh, now that I'm 60, I'm not God. And if things aren't better, God's still at work and I still can be in him. And when you look back in the Bible, Paul seemed to be in prison a lot. The Christians seemed to get martyred and the prophets seemed to be not treated great. So why should I, if things don't go great, why should I expect that things should always be perfect for me or for us? 
So I'm praying that I would follow Christ. I pray our church would be united. I'm praying for a breakthrough of the Lord through uh, the body of Christ. I think there's going to be maybe a lot of repentance on our part to get to that place. Got it. Hey, Ken, so we wrap up. Actually, I do have a couple of lasting questions, fun questions as well, too. You've lived in Paramount for 49 years. If when I next come or Johanna comes to Paramount, what is one restaurant that you recommend that people should visit or you love? Um, there's a, a bunch of restaurants, but one's right across the street from our church. It's Casa Gamino. And uh, there's a delightful lady that oversees Casa Gamino. It's been in the community at least 40 years, maybe longer. And it's uh, 100 yards from our church building. And it's the best Mexican food around. You'd love it. Casa Gamino. Got it. What is one thing that you should visit when you come to Paramount? One place. Um, I think I'd go visit our Paramount High School. Our Paramount High School looks like it's a building. Its buildings look like uh, it belongs in some well-to-do community. And, uh, and we're a blessed community to have phenomenal public school facilities because the school, the, the city would have the foresight to agree to some bonds that allowed that to happen. Our public, Paramount High School is an outstanding high school with many kids going on to high degrees and almost everybody going on to employment and schooling. I'd visit Paramount High School and look at the campus and think uh, that's pretty remarkable that in a community that was supposed to become was called a disaster site. There now is a school that looks that beautiful. That might be one thing to look at. Got it. Last question. 49 years, Paramount has probably changed. What is what is one or two changes that you look at Paramount that has encouraged you? Uh, I'm encouraged by the overall unity that we have in Paramount between the city council, the city staff, the pastors, the churches, the business community, the chamber of commerce, the neighborhood communities, the civic groups. I think one of the great things in Paramount is that there is overall a unity for about four decades. And we're praying that we keep that. That that doesn't that, that could go away. I mean, all it takes is a few bad things going the wrong way. That's a beautiful thing about Paramount. I think another beautiful thing about Paramount is that most of the people in Paramount rejoice in different backgrounds being near each other and caring for one another. So those are two things I celebrate in our city. Got it, got it, got it. Ken, thank you. Johanna, it was just a pleasure just talking with Ken. So uh, I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did. I did, yeah. Hey, God bless you, both of you. Thank you for the way you're loving the city of LA and the humility you're walking in and saying, uh, let's listen first, let's learn second, and out of that alongside others, uh, let's, we Christians, once we've listened, once we've learned, God, could you help us be servant leaders? And I think you are modeling that, and I'm grateful. God be with you and your families. Thank, Thank you. you. For more information on Together LA, go to togetherla.net. You can also find us on Instagram at together underscore LA. That is together underscore LA. You can also download previous episodes and interviews that we have on any place that you listen to your podcast. So Johanna and Ken, we will talk soon. Thank you guys. Bye. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Together LA Listening Tour. To stay connected, make sure you subscribe to the Together LA channel, rate and review this episode, and make sure to share on your social media platforms. We would love for you to follow along with Together LA on Instagram, Facebook, and our website at www.togetherla.net. See you next time.